A couple of uh, reminders before we get into the message this morning. We've been talking about uh, Kathy's book being available through the Children's Cancer Network backpack. And for just $14, we can sponsor that. And so I hope that we'll, as a church, just wrap our arms around that and really support getting uh, Kathy's book into those backpacks for those children who are struggling, uh, battling cancer. Uh, It's just a great opportunity for us not only to support families that are going through that, but to give them something really tangible, even from someone within our own church family. So Kathy will be back there. She was out there this morning. She'll be back there at the table. Uh, Any of you that would like to uh, help get those books into those children's hands. Then don't forget, on August 27th, it's a Saturday, we are having a How to Study Your Bible workshop through our church. And I would encourage anyone, if you're looking to get more out of your time in God's Word, this is an investment you don't want to miss. It is a great way to spend a few hours on a Saturday in August. Uh, Any of you who've taken this workshop, you know because you've been through it how it has helped you and enabled you to get more out of your time in God's Word. So I'd just like to encourage you. There's a sign-up sheet on the men's table. There's a sign-up sheet on the women's table out there. Again, that's Saturday, August the 27th. And then one more. This is sort of a save the date because it's out there a little bit further. But I really want us to block this weekend off here at the Oasis. And that is Saturday, September the 24th. And Sunday, September the 25th, the very last weekend of September, uh, we're going to be offering something really special for the very first time here through our ministry at the Oasis. And I'm really excited about it. And we'll be telling you more about it in the days ahead. But let me just say this. It's all about strengthening the family. Strengthening the family. Uh, It's going to be an encouragement to all of us because all of us are part of a family. Uh, and, and so, uh, really looking forward to that weekend and really hope that we can get a great turnout because we're going to have stuff all day, sort of on Saturday, Saturday morning, we're going to have something for the ladies and the men separately. Then we're going to have a Saturday night service here and then a Sunday morning service like we normally do. So it's going to be a very full weekend, but I think a great weekend and, uh, we're looking forward to that. All right. One of the responsibilities of a local church is to make sure that the people of God are focused where we need to be focused, that that our attention is where it should be and needs to be in the world in which we live. In fact, that's also a responsibility that God gives to all of us as, as ministers. Whether me as the pastor, my job is to go... Yeah, all this stuff is happening, but let's remember that though we're aware of that, our focus needs to be here. In fact, that's Nicole's heart as our worship leader. That's Pastor Chad's heart as our youth leader. That's Crystal's heart as our children's leader. That's Woody's heart as our men's leader and March's heart as our women's leader and all of our ministry. It's to get God's people focused where our focus needs to be. Because the Bible clearly tells us that though... We're all very aware of of the world that we live in, that for followers of Jesus Christ, if we want to navigate this life on this broken world successfully, and and we want to be able to to live in this world and and endure, and not just, you know, uh, somehow just get through, but, but really thrive in this world, 
then the Bible tells us one thing. We've got to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2. The author says, keeping our eyes fixed, fastened on Jesus. That's where our focus needs to be. It's not that God wants us to be ostriches and put our head in the ground and not be aware of what's really going on in our community and in our world. But God says the focus of our lives should never be there. It should always be on God. And the reason is because if we don't keep our focus on God, if we begin to get our focus on the evil and the wickedness and the violence and the depravity and the debauchery uh, that's all around us in our community and in our world, our soul will literally erode away, the Bible says. In fact, there's a story even in the Bible of a man in such a condition. And before we get into 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, I just want to remind ourselves of this story. It's the story of Lot who found himself, by his own choosing, in Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Bible describes him this way in living around all that. The Bible, first of all, said he was anguished every day. The word literally means that he was completely worn down by the society in which he lived. That though he knew God and had a relationship with God, he got his focus off of God... And he got his focus on all of the wickedness and evil and debauchery and violence and all of that around him. And literally his soul was eroding away and he was completely worn down and worn out by living in the world in which he was. And then the Bible goes on to tell us something else about Lot in that society. That he became a tortured soul. Seeing and hearing and and living in that environment. You see. And that's what will happen to us. If you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, we lose where our focus should be. If we cease keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, and we begin to get captivated and focused on the world and all of its problems and all the situations that are going on in our world, our soul will erode away. And we will become this tormented soul, even as a follower of Jesus Christ. And we will find ourselves having been completely worn down by the culture and the society in which we live. God says of his people, yes, you are always going to be in the world, but I don't want you to be of the world. I want you through me to be able to rise above the world in which you live, no matter how bad it gets. And I say all that because when we come to the book of 2 Thessalonians and to this chapter or passage we're going to look at today, it would be easy for us, even as a Christian, to read this passage and not get in some way discouraged, despair, uh, depressed, whatever, because the focus really is on the rise of evil and wickedness because the Bible is telling us and informing us of something that we need to be aware of but not focused on. And that is that the Antichrist is getting ready to step on the stage of human history. Notice how he starts out in verse 3 of chapter 2. He says, Let no one deceive you in any way. The last days are going to be days of great spiritual deception, which means we as followers of Jesus Christ must be a discerning people. 
He says, for in that day, that day will not arrive until the rebellion comes. And we talked about that. How there is already this great falling away and defection from the faith of Christians. How there's also a falling away and defection from the church by those who claim to know God. And the Bible says this is a climate in which the last days is going to take place. Not only is evil going to be on the rise, but the people of God are going to grow in their complacency and apathy towards spiritual things. So it's sort of a double whammy. Evil's on the rise and spirituality is on the decrease. And then he says, this man of lawlessness will one day be revealed the son of destruction. The man of lawlessness is another description in the Bible for the Antichrist. And it reminds us that the Antichrist is going to epitomize what is described in philosophy as nihilism. Nihilism simply is is defined as the total rejection of established laws and institutions. And we see that in seed form today. In our society, from the top to the bottom, and even in our culture, worldwide, from our country to countries all around the world, from the least to the greatest, there is a growing disregard for law. We can do whatever we want to do. We are above the law. We can create our own law, if you will. We don't have to abide by law anymore. This is what the Antichrist is going to propose. Any established institutions and laws, we're going to do away with. I'm the law. I'm the only institution. And that's what he's going to be known by. Notice in verse 4, he opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God. He's not only going to be against the only true God, Jehovah. He is going to say, there are no other deities or divinities but me. So really, all world religions... All faiths out there, even though they're false, he's going to trump them all because he's not going to tolerate or allow any rival to himself, you see, when he arrives on the world stage. And as a result, though, he will take his seat in God's temple, a temple that will be rebuilt in Jerusalem, displaying himself as God. The Antichrist isn't so much against God as he seeks to replace God. He seeks to be in people's lives instead of God. And we see this again in seed form today, where people are trying to replace that need and that longing for God, that spiritual void in their lives with all kinds of things. We talked about that last week, whether it's, you know, mysticism or materialism or all that. We see that happening already today. The groundwork of the Antichrist is already being laid. And then notice Paul says, surely you recall, verse 5, that I used to tell you these things while I was still with you. Paul taught the early Christians prophecy. He taught them diligently what was to come So that they would be prepared and not caught off guard. So that their soul would not be eroded in the times and ages in which they lived. And then I want you to go down to verse 9. Where we also see something else about this Antichrist. That unlike any other human being in history, he will be totally energized and empowered by Satan himself. Notice it says, the arrival of the lawless one, the Antichrist, will be by Satan's working supernatural power behind the Antichrist. And he will be able to do all kinds of miracles, signs, and false wonders. 
Folks, that's why down through history it has been such a mistake for Christians, for scholars, or even average Christians to try to pick out, you know, a hated politician or somebody that they didn't like as the Antichrist. As bad as those people may be, and even the people in our lifetime that we may think is, you know, close to the, they're not even close. The Antichrist is going to be totally energized and be able to do miracles wonders, signs in front of people that, that are totally of Satan. And because it's a time of spiritual deception, because, because people have left the truth of God's word and they don't know any better, they're going to be duped and deceived by this satanic activity. I even hear that amongst followers of God today, where some people conclude that any supernatural activity must be of God, right? And I'm like, oh my goodness, you're, you're vulnerable and susceptible to being deceived. Because if you think just because something is supernatural, it's of God, you're all wrong. That's not what the Bible teaches. And that's exactly what's going to happen in the last days. He's going to come on the world scene. He is going to be Satan's masterpiece. And any of you that play chess, you know that the most powerful piece in the game of chess is the queen. Can move in any direction. Well, think of then the Antichrist as as the queen in the game of chess from Satan. It it is his queen on the world stage. It, It is his masterpiece. It is the one human being that he puts everything into, if you will, and is behind. And the Bible says, one day this one will come. But that's not all the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that The power behind all this, the groundwork behind all this, the foundation that will be laid so that this can happen on such a worldwide scale is actually going on already. Notice what Paul said in verse 7 to us before the Antichrist comes. Because again, I'm not going to get into this. This is not where my message is going today. But I believe the Bible clearly teaches that the Antichrist will not be revealed on the world stage until the rapture of the church, until we are out of here. So even for Christians to get caught up in who the identity of the Antichrist is, to me, is a little fruitless. Because I really don't care who the identity is. I'm going to be in heaven during that seven-year tribulation period. And I'm not even going to be around to see the Antichrist come to worldwide power. But that doesn't mean we don't have stuff to deal with, as we all know. Because notice what he says in verse 7. The hidden power of lawlessness is already at work. And Paul said that 2,000 years ago to this letter to the church at Thessalonica. He's saying, again, the groundwork, this this behind-the-scenes activity that you and I aren't even aware of as Christians, all over this world is taking place. The erosion of people's souls every day is happening more and more around the world. Evil and wickedness and violence and depravity and debauchery continues to rise and spirituality continues to increase. And this world is being set up for the Antichrist because they have rejected God and rejected the Word of God. So again... You and I read passages like this. If that's where our focus was and that's where our focus stayed, our soul would start to erode. We'd start to get discouraged, depressed. We'd start to get tortured in our soul. We'd start to get worn down by what we're hearing and seeing. But God says, no, no, no. Be aware of it, but don't ever be focused on it. 
focus on me. And that's why for the rest of this message, I want to go back and start now with the phrase that we were introduced to back over in chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians to verse 9. It's where Jesus comes on the scene in judgment. And the Bible says that those who reject him are going to be removed separated forever from his face, from his presence. And notice that last phrase, from the glory of his strength. And that's where I want to focus today. I want us to focus on the glory of our God and especially the glory of his strength that is also revealed to us in this very same passage, which reminds us as followers of God, we have a choice. We can get focused on the Antichrist or we can focus on Jesus Christ. We can get caught up on the circumstances of our life and all the things that are going on around us in this really, you know, challenging world we live in. Or we can keep our focus on his attributes and his truth and the glory of his strength that even in the spiritual dark times in which we live is still very evident and should be through his people and through his church. So that's why I want to then go back to chapter 2 and I want to direct our attention again back to verse 7 where he says, The hidden power of lawlessness is already at work. However, the one who holds him back will do so until he is taken out of the way. I want us to see, first of all this morning, the glory of God's strength and his restraining power. Because the Bible says this, The Antichrist isn't going to make one move onto this world stage until God allows it. And God right now is holding him back. He is restraining him. And not only that, he is actually even restraining and holding back how bad it could be. You ever think about that? Because I hear a lot of Christians say, oh man, it is so bad. How could God? Oh, folks. It could be so much worse if it wasn't for the glory of the strength of God's restraining power. See, we we forget how wicked human beings can be when left to themselves apart from God. Somehow when we read the Bible and it says, the heart of man apart from God is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Somehow we read those things, but we really don't embrace it. Because somehow we're surprised at all of the wickedness and violence and depravity and debauchery around us. Because somehow we think that we bought into the same philosophy that the world has taught from evolution on up. That somehow we as people apart from God are basically good. No, we're not, the Bible says. And the Bible says that mankind throughout the history of mankind, ever since Adam and Eve fell in the garden, would be off so much worse if God wouldn't have held back and restrained evil from even going where man really wanted it to go. You see, the world in which we live now that we think is bad would be even much worse if God wasn't in some way holding back and restraining the spread of evil and wickedness in this world. And we need to focus on the glory of that. You know, his restraining power is seen even through creation and the deliverance of his own people. You think about how God held back the entire Red Sea on both sides. 
and held back that water so that his people could cross over on dry ground and be delivered from slavery in Egypt. You think about how God held back the floodwaters of the Jordan River so that his people could cross over and get to the other side of the Jordan. We see God's restraining power throughout the Bible. And it is something that you and I should be focused on. We don't even think enough as Christians about the things that God has restrained from happening to us that we don't even know about. That the things that God has kept us from or kept from us that we don't even know about. But that's what the Bible says. He, because he's God and he loves his people, will hold back and keep back certain things that we won't even maybe discover until we get to glory. Because that's the glory of his strength. Without him holding back. Without any kind of restraint. It'd be even worse than it is. And I believe he's talking here about the specific ministry of the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity. But let's not forget, and I don't want to spend a lot of time here, that God throughout the the creation of humanity and seeing where humanity was going to go apart from him has always built into his world restraints that he would hope would hold back and even restrain evil and wickedness. Think about the conscience. That again, most people today ignore, but that was something God built into every human being to try to restrain and hold back evil in their life. Then he brought pain into creation, hoping that if people were in enough pain by their own choices, that they would stop doing what they're doing and it would hold them back and restrain. But again, we live in a society where people are willing to put up with pain to follow their own pleasures and desires. He also created the family. And our family unit, as God created it, was to be a place that would hold back and restrain evil in this world. The breakdown of the family in our society is once again a a, a sign that that's why evil is even becoming more and more because the family's not what it used to be. It's not even being defined as what it should be, according to God. Then you have civil authority. You know, we we have an erosion in in our world today of respect for civil authority. We don't believe in that anymore, and we're fighting against it. And then finally, the church is the last institution that God placed his authority in saying, I'm hoping that my people in the church will help to restrain and hold back the evil and wickedness around them. And what better way to do that than the church to have God change people's hearts and transform people's lives through the word of God. The glory of his strength is seen in his restraining power. The glory of his strength is also seen in his destruction of Satan's masterpiece. I want to direct your attention to this. Again, we get so focused many times on the Antichrist and who it is, and and we get caught up in, in how powerful he's going to be because Satan is energizing and empowering him. But notice what the Bible says about how Jesus handles him when he comes back. Verse 8, chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will destroy by the breath of his mouth. Did you get that? The most powerful human being who's ever existed on planet earth. One who's totally energized and empowered by Satan will literally be stopped in his tracks simply by our great Jesus breathing. That's all Jesus has to do is raise his chest and the Antichrist is done. 
The Bible goes on to say, notice, that he will be wiped out by the manifestation of his arrival. In other words, his worldwide operation, his worldwide influence will be completely destroyed simply by Jesus arriving on the scene. That's the glory of the strength of God. And we get so caught up and even, again, uh, distracted and focused on the power of evil. And yes, there's no question that Satan has power and there is power in evil. But my friends, we have sung about and we know a God and we serve a God that is the almighty God. And nothing is stronger than him. In fact, the greatest thing that Satan will ever come up with will be put in his place simply by Jesus taking a breath. That's the glory of Jesus. That's the glory of his strength and the glory of our God. Let's not forget that though there is this evil power around us, that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And that the power that you and I have through Jesus Christ is greater than any power around us or that will oppose us or that will pressure us. We have a greater power always. Privileged saints of God, let's live by and in that power, the glory of his strength. And then finally, we see the glory of his strength and the power of God's word. For you will notice in verse 10, he goes on to say that in this time of spiritual deception, this deception will be directed against those who are perishing because they found no place in their hearts for the truth so as to be saved. Consequently, God sends on them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. And so all of them who have not believed the truth but have delighted in evil will be condemned. I want you to notice, first of all, That when the Bible says God sends them a strong delusion, it doesn't mean that God is trying to deceive people. What it's saying and what it is teaching is this. That when you and I or anyone reject the truth of God in our life, we automatically open ourselves up and become vulnerable and susceptible to what is false, to lies. That's even true as a follower of God. If I do not embrace the truth of God, then I will open myself up to what is false. And that's why he starts out this passage even in verse 3 by saying, let no one deceive you in any way. Because we've got to continue to embrace the truth of God. So what God does is God permits all these false things, all these lies to happen in the world because God says, you have rejected my truth, you have said no to my truth, then there's enough lies for you to believe. It's Same thing with, with eternity apart from him. You don't want me? You don't want a relationship with me? Fine. I will give you all of eternity apart from me if that's what you want. But I want you to notice something. What this passage also is teaching or is not teaching is this. And that is that people couldn't be saved because God wasn't strong enough to save them or his word wasn't powerful enough to save them or it wasn't clear enough for them to be saved. No, no. The Bible makes it very clear why people end up not being delivered and set free and rescued and saved by the power of God and by the power of his word. It is very clearly spelled out in verse 10 of 2 Thessalonians 2. They found no place in their hearts. There was no room in their heart for the truth of God. 
They did not embrace it. They pushed it away. It wasn't that they didn't know it. It wasn't that they couldn't understand it. It's not that God isn't strong enough to save them. It's not that his word isn't powerful enough to save. Because the glory of the strength of God is also seen in the power of his word. In the power of his word. God can save anybody. He's delivered me. He's delivered you. He set us free through the blood of Jesus Christ. God can save. The prophet Isaiah said, is the Lord's hand so weak that he cannot save to the nation of Israel? And Isaiah's, no, he can save. You just don't want his salvation. His word is strong enough to save. This word is powerful enough to transform hearts and change lives. It's not that the word isn't strong enough. It's not that it's not capable enough or doesn't have the ability to change people's lives. It's that people, bottom line, they don't want it. That's the problem. But there's glory in the strength of God's word. And any of us who are sitting here today or standing here today who've been changed and transformed by the word of God and who continue to be, we know the power of this book. There is power in the word of God. In fact, remember when I said that when Jesus arrived, all he had to do was breathe and he would stop the Antichrist in his tracks? What's the word of God describe the, or what does the Bible describe the word of God as? 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul says, the word of God is the breath of God. Literally, God breathed and his word came into being. So if, if the breath of God is strong enough to stop the Antichrist in his tracks, then the word of God is strong enough to do anything and everything that God wants to accomplish in this world and in this life. In fact, you can leave 2 Thessalonians. I just want to spend a few more moments. I want us to go back to the book of Genesis for just a few moments. I think in the book of Genesis, the first chapter, it's a place where in the Bible we can see the glory of the strength of the Word of God. And we see it in creation. Genesis chapter 1 is the record of creation. And notice what is written in verse 3. God said, God spoke, let there be light, and there was light. All God had to do was speak it, and it came into being. Notice verse 6. God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Let it separate water from water. And it was so. God just said it, and it happened. Verse 9. God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And guess what? It happened. Simply because God spoke it. That's the power of God's word. Verse 11, God said, let the land produce vegetation. And guess what? It produced vegetation. Verse 14, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky. And there was. Verse 20, God said, let the water swarm with creatures. And they came into being. Verse 24, God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kind. And the creatures came about simply because God spoke it. The power of the word of God. And then finally in verse 26, God said, let's create human beings. And human beings he created out of the dust of the ground simply because God's word spoke it. That's the power of the word of God. You know, one of the places that I go 
to being encouraged and enlightened is children's books. It's one of the reasons why I'm so glad Kathy wrote that book, The Tiniest Tumbleweed. And I found in a children's book this description of the power of God, and I'd like to read it to you this morning. It certainly was a reminder to me, though I've heard things like this before. It was, it was put very simply. And can I just say, I need things simplified. I need things made simple so that I can wrap my mind around it. So here goes. The author gives us a taste of God's power in creation. And he takes us from a size we can grasp to one we cannot. The largest animal on earth is the blue whale. Just the flippers on its tail are bigger than most animals on earth. But a blue whale isn't anywhere as big as a mountain. If you put hundreds of blue whales in a huge jar, you could put millions of whale jars in a hollowed out Mount Everest. But Mount Everest isn't nearly as big as the earth. If you stacked a hundred Mount Everests on top of each other, they would only be a whisker on the face of the earth. And the earth isn't anywhere as big as the sun. You could fit over one million earths inside our sun. But the sun, which scientists tell us is a medium-sized star, isn't anywhere as big as the red supergiant star called Antares. 50 million, that's right, 50 million of our suns could fit inside Antares. But Antares isn't anywhere as big as the Milky Way galaxy. Billions of stars, including supergiants like Antares, as well as countless comets and asteroids, actually make up the Milky Way galaxy. But the Milky Way galaxy isn't near as big as the universe. There are literally billions of other galaxies in the universe. And yet filled with billions of galaxies. The universe is almost totally empty. The distances from one galaxy to another are beyond our imagination and comprehension. And yet so is the one who made it. That's what I want us to see. As as human beings, we can't even begin to understand the power in creation in this vast universe that God created. And yet this God lives inside of you and me. And the glory of his strength lives inside of us and is available to us every day. And we've got to get our attention off of the wickedness and violence and depravity and debauchery And all of that around us. And we've got to refocus ourselves and keep our eyes fixed on God. Jeremiah, the prophet, said these words. In Jeremiah 32, verse 17. He said, Ah, Lord God, you indeed created the heaven and the earth. By your great power and your mighty strength, nothing is too hard for you. Do you believe that this morning? If you and I truly believe that, then we will be able not to get caught up and worn down by all that is happening around us in this world because the hidden power of lawlessness is already at work. But we won't focus on that. And we won't focus on the coming Antichrist. 
We won't focus on the rise of evil and the decrease of spirituality. As that remnant of the people of God left on planet earth, we will choose and very intentionally to put our focus on the Lord and in the glory of who he is and the glory of his strength. Seen even in this passage this morning, in his great restraining power, in his sudden destruction of the Antichrist, and in the power of his word that can change people's lives and bring our universe into existence simply by speaking it. Will we rest in who he is and in the glory of his strength? Or will we allow the things around us to continue to torture our soul and erode our soul? Let's fill our souls up today with God and stop allowing our soul to be tormented by the world in which we live. Would you stand with me as we pray and as we get ready to sing this song? And this song speaks to us about resting in the glory of God and in who He is. May that be what we declare and and speak out today. That God, we choose as your people to rest in you, in your glory, and in the glory of your strength. We choose not to be worn down any longer. Father, take your word today, which we know is living and active and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Can get to places that nothing else can get to in our innermost being. And God, would you change us? Would you transform us? Would you enliven us and quicken us and give us, Lord, the vitality and the refreshment and the rejuvenation, Lord, that we so desperately need as followers of Jesus Christ in the day and age in which we live? For for many followers, the world is getting the better of them. It's overwhelming them. But God, may that not be true of us and true of the Oasis Church. May we be a place where people can come and get refocused. Whether it's through our worship ministry, our children's ministry, our youth ministry, our women's ministry, our men's ministry, through the ministry of the word on Wednesday nights at Bible study and Sundays here. God, help us to use this ministry to refocus our people, God, so that we can be strong in the days in which we live. Help us, God, enable us to rest in the glory of you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's lift this up to the Lord this morning.